Well, we should be ready to go now. Hey, welcome to Scale Up Heroes. This is episode 20. You can find us here every Monday at Scale Up Heroes. We're bringing you the best minds and the best real life experiences when it comes to scaling up businesses. With us each week are the heroes that took on the difficult odds and folks that are living to tell the tale. To our viewers at Facebook, we invite you to visit our website, scaleupacademy.io. Today, we're talking about scaling up operations. So we welcome our viewers and our guests to the show. Let me introduce today's moderator. He is Oded Parath. He is the VP of operations at Bizabo. He is in New York City. Welcome. Thank you, Randy. Um, hello to everyone. Uh, we got two uh, great panelists here with us today. So I suggest Let's start with a quick round of introductions, have uh, Dexter and Martina introduce themselves, and then I'll tell you a bit about myself. And after that, uh, I have a few interesting questions to Dexter and Martina uh, about how we scale teams and how you grow a business. So uh, Martina, why don't we start with you? Uh, hi, guys. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Martina, and I am heading the Khan management team across Asia Pacific in Land OFL. Uh, so Land OFL is a financial technology startup. Uh, we work with the financial institutions all over the world, one of the biggest ones, and we provide them with uh, products and services which are powered by alternative sources of data. And this is to help them to make more aware credit decisions and help them to financially include the undeserved uh, consumer segment. So like in, in simple words, what we do is upon your credit application, if you do not have a credit history, we would ask you to share with us your social media footprint, your handset data, your telco data, and psychometric profile in order for us to be able to assess your credit risk. And before joining Rando EFL, which was one and a half year ago, I was sort of sitting at the other side of the table. I was actually working in a banking uh, in JP Morgan and in UBS in risk management teams. Uh, I also did in my free time consulting to microfinance space uh, in Indonesia. So I help the MFIs to actually bring international capital to help them to, to scale, um, to lend, and to, to reduce and to improve the operational inefficiencies which are so prevailing in micro-lending space. And as a curiosity, I, I really like reading in my free time stories about the mountaineering. Uh, this is basically how I learned about the great teamwork and well, operations. Very cool. Thank you very much, Martina. Dexter, over to you. Great. Uh, hello, everyone. I'm Dexter Liggett-Gordon, uh, originally from the Bay Area in uh, California, United States. I'm currently the, the Chief Operating Officer for Caliber, um, one of the co-founders as well. So what Caliber is, is a talent matching platform. Uh, we have employers who post their jobs, and based on the requirements of the job, we begin to recommend uh, potential job seekers, potential candidates, based on the content of their profiles, based on uh, the profiles of the candidates that are on our platform. So uh, we leverage AI technology to be able to facilitate these uh, recommendations. And we have grown uh, fairly quickly because of our emphasis and focus on uh, delivering a great candidate experience. We wanna make sure that candidates understand where they are in the recruitment process, that they actually get feedback from the places uh, to whom they apply to, and that they're, uh, the, the employers on the other end of the application are actually responsive to them. And uh, because we operate this two-sided platform uh, where engagement happens on our platform, uh, we're able to facilitate and make sure that those, those conversations have, uh, are of high quality. 
so we launched in uh, the Philippines in uh, 2015. Uh, we expanded to Indonesia in 2017. And uh, we're in the process of, uh, we're going to open our Series B, which will enable us to expand to uh, three, three new markets in Southeast Asia. So my role at uh, Caliber, <clears throat> uh, geez, uh, well, I am at, up at uh, 12.30 at night talking about what I do, so it's, it's a, <laughs> I oversee uh, uh, the headquarters, which is a product, uh, product design and development, engineering and research and development, and then uh, the operations uh, managers report up to me. So I oversee the two country managers who in turn oversee uh, marketing, sales, and customer success for each of their respective markets. So uh, I think I have a, a, a purview and understanding. My core job is I, I focus on product, product strategy, product direction, and uh, capturing market share. Uh, but I'm also responsible for helping the country managers drive their, their growth and penetration strategies in the two markets where we operate. I'm a new dad, uh, so if you hear some cries in the background, see me sprint out of my chair, you know what I'm doing, it's not an emergency. Um, but uh, I'm very much enjoying what I do. And, uh, you know, I think with Lendo, interestingly, we also have a, a, a very core business focused on uh, growth and servicing our, our clients, but we also have a, a social impact, which kind of what gets us up in the mornings for me particularly. Before I actually uh, end up, ended up leaving a tech startup, of all the things that I used to do, I used to work uh, in government in the United States. My background uh, is I used to be uh, as the chief policy uh, analyst and I, I developed the strategic plan for workforce development for the city of San Francisco. So my background, although it's a similar domain, uh, was uh, largely focused in the public sector in the US. It's probably the biggest uh, career uh, leap that I thought I would make. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. So as you guys can see, we have two great panelists with a very diverse, diverse background. Uh, very, very briefly about myself. So uh, as Randy mentioned, I'm the VP of operations here at Visible. Uh, as you can hear by the accent, I'm originally from Israel. I uh, was in the military for about five years, did uh, field intelligence and operations, um, studied engineering, but was a very, very mediocre engineer. So I ended up uh, doing uh, brand management for Procter & Gamble and um, went to business school, uh, joined the McKinsey and & Company and uh, did consulting for a few years focused on tech companies and operations, and then joined Visible, which is an event success platform uh, about a year and a half ago to start the business operations team, um, now the operations team as a whole. And um, I could very much relate to what Dexter was saying in the sense that I also have a 14 months old baby at home and I slept for two hours last night. So if I'm mumbling on or saying anything that sounds like nonsense, I apologize. Um, but I, I actually wanna ask you guys a quick question about what your day-to-day -day looks like. So when I joined um, Visible and I basically had to build an operations team from scratch, I knew what the strategic focus was uh, gonna be, but it was really hard for me to close my eyes and imagine what a typical day would look like. So Dexter, why don't you tell us what, you know, a typical thing looks like for a COO of uh, Caliber? Well, uh, uh, what I'm supposed to say, which is actually true, is that there is no typical day. <laughs> uh, let me contrast what uh, a day today looked like a, year, a day uh, a year and a half ago 
when we were about a quarter of the size, user base and number of employees, what it used to be. Because I think it, it kind of ties into the story that I, uh, I want to tell about scaling. Caliber today is about 125 employees across two markets. And my day-to-day -day largely is focused on making, uh, working with the two operations heads, uh, ensuring that the strategies that, uh, that they're implementing on a day-to-day -day basis is uh, driving towards the business direction. That's very broad, but let me be very specific. So on a, any given day, um, I'm working with the country managers to troubleshoot their bottlenecks, identifying is it a people problem? Is there a problem with the product? Uh, is there a problem with the strategy or is, uh, do they need additional resources uh, that we need to reallocate for either marketing, uh, training, um, or investment in tools? So my, my operational role uh, uh, largely is about enabling the heads of the two countries to make sure that they're not hitting any bottlenecks. And so it's largely my, uh, they come to me to troubleshoot with them, okay? Now, let me contrast that um, with a year and a half ago. A year and a half ago, we're about a quarter of our size. So it's about 45 people. Uh, the difference between now and then is that we actually have experienced senior managers and uh, vice presidents who are running the different operations team. But before, uh, when, uh, before we were able to raise our Series A, uh, we didn't have much traction. Joining a startup in the Philippines was very risky, so we didn't have a lot of seasoned professionals who were jumping at the opportunity uh, to join a, a very unknown startup. Um, so largely, it was me working with team leaders that we had groomed uh, who were formerly frontliners. So it was a very flat organization. It was essentially executive to, to, to team lead level so that there's no vice president, there's no directors, there's no senior managers. It's like executives meeting people who are two years out of, fresh out of college. <laughs> and it's just the reality of, of starting, you know, as, uh, with Caliber when we started literally in a living room. So that was our reality. And in that progression from uh, a 45 person shop to a 125 person shop, what, uh, what we needed to do to be able to facilitate that growth, the growth in our user base, the growth, the growth in our revenue, and the growth in our uh, headcount, was we really needed to bring in uh, vice president of engineering, uh, an experienced head of sales, an experienced head of marketing, and uh, two experienced country managers. Well, we tried to lead the organization without senior managers from the outside, um, but to scale beyond that point, uh, beyond that 45 person point, we really needed to bring in people. So that's what our Series A enabled us to do. Uh, our VP uh, of engineering, um, uh, we were able to get the head of Samsung R&D here in the Philippines, uh, the head of uh, our sales teams, uh, uh, formerly a, a sales head from J&J, um, and then our country manager like in Indonesia's former um, chief operating officer for a, for a social impact. So I think that this is largely what you invest, what we invested our series A into was attracting the senior seasoned professionals who know the uh, industry standards for, for example, for development, for sales, uh, to bring in the operational processes uh, and the structures uh, to build that organization underneath us. It's something that frankly, uh, 
you know, because we're emerging from startup to, to scale up, uh, there was resistance from a culture point of view, but we're able to kind of find that balance. The last thing that I want to say is that scaling from 45 to 125, the most important thing that the founders, myself and our CEO, Paul, really focused on is retaining the, our founding culture. It, culture for us that uh, we focus on problem solving, uh, collaboration, innovation, uh, mutual support and troubleshooting. Um, you know, we swarm around problems and we're accountable for each other's success. Ultimately, we want to deliver for the job seeker who's looking for work or company who's looking for talent um, at the core of what we do. And uh, none of the tools which I can talk about, the, uh, the processes that we built in or the structures would have kind of collapsed on itself without retaining that, that core essence of what makes us mission-driven, passionate to come to work, and make sure that this is a great place to, to be. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And uh, I have to say that growing from 45 to 125 is very impressive. I bet you spend a lot of your time uh, interviewing people, which is also uh, a, a bit of a, a, bit of a, of a challenge. Um, Martina, when you take a look at your day-to-day, -day, does that sound similar? I like Dexter's definition of there's no typical day but could you relate to some of the challenges? Yeah, totally. Um, so I'm, so our team is an account management team, but we are actually called the partner success management team. So what we do is we are trying to understand and be able to quantify basically what sort of impact our technology and services have on our client business operations. And on the other hand, also some of our clients called us, call us magicians. We still come, you know, to a lot of the biggest, some, some still old-fashioned financial institutions with a new technology, with a great solutions, and um, that's, that's what I really love about my work. Uh, mm -hmm. And especially what I love is proving them that this magic can work. Uh, so basically, what we exactly do is, if you, if you can imagine in, in managing external stakeholders, there are usually two people. So you will have a business development sales team, like pitching preparing timesheets and, and closing. And then these are us who take over the relationship, uh, who ensure that we provide the continuous business impact and that, uh, that there are like mutual benefits uh, for both sides. Mm -hmm. And in terms of my day-to-day, -day, um, I would divide it into two parts. One is like a typical operations, uh, basically managing your internal stakeholders, product teams, project managers, technology teams, their communication, the relationship, and then managing external stakeholders, communication and relationship, which are our clients. And then ensuring like that we deliver quality products and services. And apart from that, continuously um, monitoring all the success, post-signing success matrices. But also there is the other part of our role, which is consulting. So we, we wear shoes of consultants. So we come to our clients as magicians who prove that our technology works. So basically, we help um, the global, the biggest banks to understand how they can use technology, how they can use alternative data to really scale the business, to, to reach the segments which were not affordable otherwise without being able to, to use technology. Um, so this is my day to day. Uh, like it's, it's a hustle. Uh, it's uh, to some extent structured, but there are also like nice surprises and uh, yeah, a lot of very positive interactions. Right, so I think the nice surprises is actually a, a good segue to something I wanna cover. So 
I feel like uh, our companies are in similar situations where we're at least with Visible, we're trying to move up market and, ta and tackle more and more uh, enterprise customers. So I liked your point about the consulting side of things and proving how the magic happens. Could you tell us about some of the challenges that you see with, when you move up market, try to scale your team and talk to enterprise customers? What are the biggest hardships and challenges that you view from an account management perspective? Yeah, so, so our clients always want a proof, right? And as a fast growth company, uh, we are transitioning. So we are all the times building our products. We are changing our products. We are trying to experiment with new use cases, with, with different strategies. So there's not always an example for everything we have done. So I think that's a challenge, right? Just to, to help our clients to see the bigger picture and to help them to be more creative and just to help them to understand that, you know, using the new technology is not necessarily a risk. It's like a competitive advantage they have. Mm -hmm. So it's basically, basically saying that even after the sales process ends, it doesn't never really end. You always have to reiterate and prove the point, right? Totally, totally. There are so many people then after the sales process that the, the, point, ha the point has to be proven too, because then it opens up an idea with all the stakeholders uh, within the client uh, institution. Right? So mm -hmm. there are many more people to convince. Yeah, yep, yep. Dexter, I see you nodding. I, I assume that with the growth that you guys have been having, it's also looking at a different customer segment and uh, moving up market. So I'd love to hear what are the challenges there that you see? Uh, this is a, a problem that we're, uh, or this is a challenge that we're currently tackling. So we actually, um, you know, every company hire, uh, hires. I mean, it's a, it's a part of the life cycle of business. Uh, when we first started, uh, we, made the fo uh, we made the decision to focus on uh, the medium-sized enterprise segment. So uh, again, for employers, we provide them with the platform to uh, discover, evaluate, and engage talent. So uh, now we decided to go with the medium-sized enterprise largely because of this issue of needing to be able to handle organizational complexity from the, from the, uh, from the organization point of view and also the complexity of the sale, okay? So right now, uh, because uh, many uh, large, you know, uh, 5,000 plus enterprises have decided to use Calibre anyways, despite our caveats of uh, this is designed for medium-sized enterprise. Many large-scale enterprises wanted to continue to use Calibre because of the talent, the kind of talent that they can find on our platform versus others. So it, it put us in a position where there's demand from the enterprise level. So what are the things that we need to do right now? And uh, for those of you who are thinking about moving up the market, one, the complexity of the sale increases, definitely. Uh, from metrics as your average time to close for a new business deal uh, for a medium-sized enterprise for us is less than a month. It's like 14 days. Uh, for an enterprise, it's three months to six months, and it's driven by the procurement cycle of the enterprise. Okay, it's, so it's yeah. Sounds like you're looking at the visible dashboard. That's exactly our times. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, that, yeah, I was just reviewing it earlier, so it's fresh in my head. Um, <laughs> and I think Martina hit it right on the head, is that um, for uh, an enterprise, uh, they, they need to see that it's successful. But for Caliber, uh, what, what we notice is that success in a large organization, you have multiple personas that you're selling to. You have the persona that's using the platform. 
that's uh, making sure that it's uh, the managing the using the platform, managing the platform, and then the the one who makes a purchasing decision. Those are three, oftentimes different people in an organization. So that's uh, that's why it's uh, complex to, to to manage the relationship and demonstrate at those three levels metrics that each of those three levels care about. So frontline, it's about my productivity. And then uh, top of the level is, is my company objective being aligned, met by your, your software. Lastly, and I know I don't want to take up all the time, um, for enterprise software, particularly SaaS, uh, for the small and medium-sized segments, they will conform to your platform, right? Uh, half the time, they're like, can you make this more self-service so we don't have to talk to any of your customer success people? Just let us play with a credit card. Um, they, it's uh, ha largely uh, hands-off. However, for larger enterprises, the expectation for us is that we have to be able to accommodate for their company workflows, right? So the, the, the strains on uh, configuration and customization of what is supposed to be one-size-fits-all, there's the larger-scale enterprises will, will try to get your your software to conform to their workflow. And that, that's really the challenge that we're focused on. I, I oversee both the product team and the customer success team. So I think Martina hit it right on the head. This, is, this requires uh, account management that is consultative and that is uh, strategic in nature, such that you're actually working with, a, uh, working with the customer to be able to identify what is their KPI and to develop the solution and configure the software uh, uh, and the workflows to, uh, to make sure that, that uh, that's met from, from that point of view. Mm -hmm. So again, uh, from a service point of view, it's consultative. From a product point of view, it needs to be configurable. And you have to be able to understand your market well because there's no one, uh, there, the workflow will differ from company to company. So the product itself has to be flexible enough either through an API for things that are going to happen off platform or configurable enough in terms of, you can't assume that everyone will manage candidates in our case the same way. Um, yeah. So uh, even though that for some reason, some of the largest banks in Indonesia and some of the largest conglomerates in the Philippines have managed to, to use us, uh, it's uh, for us to be able to scale this further penetrate it, we have to be able to uh, make the product more flexible and then our account management more consultative and, uh, and strategic. Yeah, it's uh, it's always a, a challenge, right? They want you the they want the product to be more flexible but more stable, and uh, it's always it's always a battle. I think that you know, as yeah. you both mentioned, it's um, right, when you look at companies that have, you know, between five to twenty million dollars in ARR in the realm of the B C round, etc. The challenge is always looking at those enterprise customers and how do we get a chunk off of that. But I would love to actually uh, throw uh, uh, a throwback at you and take you guys one year back or a year and a half uh, back and try to think what were your challenges back then. And also, uh, and also if you could give just a very, very quick overview of the company at that size, Dexter, you said you guys were 45 people. Martina, I'm not sure what the uh, team looked like uh, uh, at that time, and what was one challenge that was uh, particularly uh, interesting and how you overcame that one? I think that could be very relevant to a lot of viewers. 
Martina, sure. maybe you want... Yeah, I mean, I, I love these questions. I love just trying to understand how these things evolved over years. So I joined Lendo EFL when we were still Lendo only. And it was a 30 people, a global company with me being the first and the only account manager in Southeast Asia region. So we know that the challenges were super simple. So it was us understanding the market, understanding our competitors, understanding our competitive advantage, and still trying to understand the basic characteristics of our product so that we can sell it well. Um, and also from my perspective, it was about stretching the one person's operations across the whole region. Uh, we had over 10, 10 clients that time. Mm -hmm. And and then one year later, we went through the merger process. And actually now, one and a half year later, we are 90 people company. Now we are called Lendo EFL. And there are around four times more clients globally as during the time I joined. Uh, so, so it's very difficult nowadays, like as we used to do, to sit at the same table in the same country or you know, dial, on, dial on for the same call and just make a very spontaneous decision about rolling out the new product and enhancement. Mm -hmm. Now it basically, it's basically all about the bigger picture. It's all about the long-term strategy. And what is very important as we have grown and as we have, have become even more global, as we have presence across even more time zones, the communication is like super important. Uh, so it's, it's to ensure, you know, that everyone remains engaged despite the geography uh, and the distance. Mm -hmm. And apart from that, it's, it's obviously introducing the right structure and reporting in place, again, to keep everyone on the same page and informed about the developments in the company and outside the company, about uh, just making sure that everyone understands the different challenges, different markets within the global company face. Mm -hmm. And apart from that, um, so between the 30 people, 90 people have gone through like a very high, um, high speed hiring processes. And um, this was also a challenge, you know, get the right talent, uh, understand where the talent fits in your organization and then train them and onboard. I think that's, that's, that's very important and, and, um, and very challenging as the, as the company grows super fast. And what I think our leaders have done perfectly is ensuring that after the merger, um, despite the fact that we were uh, different companies, they were able to bring us on the same page and very strongly, uh, our CEO was able to, to, um, uh, to roll down uh, all the values, you know, communicate them left, right and center and ensure that all the managers of all the teams are able to to clearly communicate to their uh, to their um, to their team on what the values are, where the company is heading, you know, keep everyone on the same page, just so, so that we feel the one, despite the fact that we have just gone through the through the very complex merger. And the challenge which I did not face one and a half year ago is uh, the continuous and very disruptive changes which are happening inside the organization and the changes which have to be well managed in order for us to ensure the continuous and the great service and the great service delivered to our clients. So basically that's, um, that's I think how, how things have changed and mm -hmm. that's quite exciting times one and a half year ago and now they're very different, but uh, yeah, it, it continues. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I can also very much relate to that. I think that uh, the point that you brought up about the balance between the culture and the hiring, something that uh, 
Dexter also brought up. I'm sure you guys can relate to um, coming in Monday morning and seeing three new faces in the office that you've never seen in your life. And uh, it's exciting, but at the same time, how do you maintain the culture and how do you make sure that these people adhere to the same values that uh, represent the rest of the company? Um, so I think, you know, I, I, I find that very interesting. Um, Dexter, in terms of, of the hiring, so I, I bet, as, as you mentioned, that was probably a challenge that was a challenge then and is probably still a challenge now. How do you guys face that? Meaning, did you bring in, at what point did you bring in a recruiter? What are the guidelines there? Do you work with external agencies? Because I think that that's a challenge that's been existing for a while, but at the same time, it changed and shows different sides to it as time uh, goes by. Look, this is an interesting story, and uh, we have an unfair advantage because we are a talent platform. Very true. Uh, so it's uh, what initially, when Caliber first started, literally I mentioned in a living room, uh, the Paul, Paul, the CEO, and I actually had applied to Y Combinator. We're the first uh, startup in Southeast Asia to get in. Uh, but that was only enough street credibility to attract hackers. So literally our first group of, uh, of employees were engineers who were interns in the university. So it was Paul, uh, myself, uh, and a bunch of interns who were trying to figure out uh, uh, the future of the company. We also had a founding CTO at the time. He was from McKinsey, I think. Uh, you're from McKinsey, right? Yeah. yeah. So uh, uh, he helped us also attract uh, uh, the... Uh, this 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 kind of talent. So in the initial st stages, was the reputation of being the only Philippine startup that was able to get us that core, and yet we're only to to build a, a, a team of interns. So fast forward uh, about a year and a half after that to the state state we're at uh, forty five. So uh, our talent platform when we launched in twenty fifteen uh, was we launched with 50,000 candidates on the platform, uh, people who are looking for work, about 250 companies who are uh, recruiting out of the platform. Uh, we were emerging as a brand for that, that, uh, that job seekers and candidates, uh, particularly for fresh grads and millennials at the time, uh, we became kind of the alternative to the old school job boards uh, here in, us, uh, in the Philippines. So, uh, as our reputation grew as the alternative, the kind of young, hip, uh, the place where you want to, uh, that you'll find the job at the great companies, because that's who we focused on onboarding on the employer side. Uh, as our talent marketplace grew, our credibility as an employer grew. So we kind of just leveraged that as our unfair advantage. So in terms of uh, when did we pull in a recruiter? Uh, we pulled in a recruiter just uh, crossing over that 45 person mark. Um, we evaluated for, we had no shortage of candidates at that point because we were already uh, uh, kind of a household name, at least for those who are using us. Uh, what we what were very diligent about was making sure that they had three things. It's, a, it's what you would commonly hear. One is that they had the requisite foundational skills. Uh, that's for our engineering or sales or account management. Uh, but we focused on training them, and that's the key difference, uh, particularly because we work with a lot of employers. So if they didn't know, uh, if, they, if they were a, a PHP developer, 
um, we would still focus, uh, we'd still hire them and then train them on our staff. Uh, that's a commitment that we made because we knew that our ideal candidate didn't come with the right skills and the right, uh, uh, we, we knew that we had to train. Um, so the, the screening was uh, foundational skills, learnability, um, like we actually create our own assessments that are part of our platform. So we actually use those to test for learnability. Um, and then lastly, we, we uh, test for culture. Um, you won't know until you work with them and we acknowledge that, but we do about six interviews. I always do the last interview for anyone who reports up to me. And at this point, it's ever the company. Um, but uh, the CEO as well also does it. So we kind of split that load. And uh, uh, essentially, I, the first question I ask, uh, uh, as after, the second question I ask is, what do you want Caliber to prepare you for next. Mm -hmm. So I wanna get a sense of what your ambitions are, what you wanna accomplish at Caliber, but also knowing that um, Caliber knows that you're gonna do some, wants you to do something better and more grand than actually working at Caliber one day. And this is true for everyone who's left us. Um, you were kind of like the jumping board to work for big tech <laughs> from the Philippines to global tech. Mm -hmm. um, so, That's a you good know, well, you know, uh, we just, we, you know, our, I know that for millennials, the average turnaround time uh, or average tenure is about two years. We're averaging about three and a half. So we're beating the average, but we're still losing people. It's still, there's still millennial talent. So screening for culture, there's a lot of literature that's on this. Uh, and it really, for us, we're culture obsessed. Um, we talk about culture. Uh, we actually talk about it more than we write about it. Uh, we're, for each meeting, we're kind of constantly reminding ourselves, is this, are we being collaborative? Does this align with, uh, with the impact that we wanna make in people's lives? You know, I actually used to work in politics, so I know what politics look like. I used to work in government. I actually used to work in political campaigns in the US. Um, so I know what politics with a big P and with a small P look like. And we've uh, we made a commitment to make sure that the, notions of competitiveness or individual conflict. Uh, we remind each other that we're committed to each other's success. We want to help each other problem solve. Uh, and, you know, we don't, we do have rock stars, but uh, we, we always remind each other that it doesn't matter, like especially uh, balancing kind of Asian values and, or Eastern values and, and Western values. It doesn't matter how good you are, it matters how good you make your team, right? And um, it's a it's a, a very it's a it's a very constant conversation. You know, we had cultural anthropologists uh, uh, come in with us to to kind of talk about our our our, uh, our culture on a, on a yearly basis, and to make sure that this is something that everyone coming into the company is not just adhering to, but it's something that people are contributing to. So we don't feel that our culture stagnant, um, but our culture obsessiveness is something that remains uh, consistent. I think that that's something that you can never invest too much in um, your culture and making sure that everyone adheres to the same values. And it just, like you said, it's a very, very good baseline for scale because if that's broken, something is going to break and have a lot of impact while breaking in the future. Um, so once again, something I can very much relate to. I think we only have uh, about five minutes left. So I want to, I want to try and finish up with the, uh, with one question uh, to each of you, and that is, 
what would you what advice would you give to yourself when you started this role um, you know a few years ago um, so people who are at that stage right now and are either starting a company or considering uh, joining as a VP of operations account management etc um, what's the one advice you would give to yourself Martina um, sure so so I have realized that actually it's sort of doesn't matter if you join a company which is as big as JP Morgan with 10,000s of employees or if you join a company as Lendo EFL or Lendo used to be like 30 people companies you can never underestimate um, the importance of operational structure so as you come on board you have to clearly understand what the structure is like okay what are the different verticals and maybe there are just few people in the management but actually what are their dynamics and what are the different teams dynamics and peoples within the team's dynamics and how our uh, company makes decisions, how our executives make decisions, uh, how we can communicate with them, what are the success factors of the company, which sort of um, translates into, into values and culture to some extent. So I think that's, that's number one, just, just understanding these small, these minutiae a bit better to be able to have a better impact on how the company grows and have a better communication. Um, and I think the, the second advice is um, just just to learn the product very, very well. So it doesn't matter in what sort of team you are. Uh, you don't have to be in a product team or in tech, tech team to understand well the technicalities of the product. So you actually need to have a 360 degree perspective of your product. Be able you know, to speak about it to the different teams of your customer. You have to be able to talk about it to the technical team of your customer, to the finance team, to the risk management, marketing, then business and, and finally CEOs. So I think these are the two aspects uh, which tend to be neglected. To some extent, I think the former one, um, I neglected when I joined Lendo because I felt, okay, I mean, how complex this can be, right? I'm just coming from, from one of the biggest banks in the world. Um, so I guess these are the two. Very, very cool. Dexter, what, what one advice would you give to the younger Dexter? I think you're on mute. I'm going to talk about this from uh, two points of view. Uh, say, same topic, but uh, two sides of the coin. Um, for one, uh, the piece of advice that I would give myself is be able to know the, uh, the, the, the potential different customer segments you can service and prioritize one segment first. Our challenge early on was that we wanted to chase the the opportunity, the opportunity was coming from different angles the and lack of, lack of focus. That's right. And it's a, uh, that lack of focus will kill you operationally. Um, servicing again, uh, the, the way to go to market with a medium sized enterprise is very different. Go to market and product for uh, a large enterprise. So it's a, uh, it's critical. Um, you have to know, I, and I, if you're kind of starting from scratch, I wouldn't, tackle both uh, the SME market and the enterprise market. You have to choose one. Now, flip side of that coin, I'm gonna get a little kind of wonky and brass tacks. Um, what enabled us to be able to understand, make these decisions, and then also to measure and improve operational effectiveness uh, over time is that we heavily invested at each stage, and it doesn't matter whether if it's, we're a 10 person state, uh, 10 person shop, 
75, uh, 50% shop or 125% shop. We invested in uh, our business intelligence, okay? So in the early days, it was essentially our data scientists who were crunching numbers from our platform, from our database directly and creating dashboards to help us answer these questions. Uh, who's more likely to renew? Which segments are more profitable? Which segments are happier? Um, so being able to constantly, and this is who I work with the most, constantly uh, obsessive about understanding uh, which segments we should optimize for and understanding the performance of those segments from a financial point of view, from uh, the activity that they do on your platform and the likelihood that they're finding, meeting their own objectives in using uh, your software. Mm -hmm. Now, when we converge, once we cross over the 75 person shop, um, so we had, it was a data science team. Essentially what we're using for project management was uh, Trello and Basecamp. Um, but then once we started to get to a bigger shop, 75 person, we actually needed to, to build a data warehouse and this is the advice that I didn't foresee needing to do this. I didn't, it was a priority when the whole project was proposed to me, it just looked like a, a big pile of overhead, right? <laughs> uh, but it, this is really what has allowed us to take that insight, scale it, and this is critical. Uh, so on our data warehouse, we have OLEP and OLAP. So it's online transaction processing. Uh, so this is essentially kind of uh, being able to, you know, our, our, our marketing team does this to track leads. Our sales team uses this for their customer relationship management. And then also our customer success team uses this uh, to manage the information about any individual account. Now, because they use this, uh, or we use JIRA, uh, kind of a unified uh, system, we actually have all the transactional data, okay? Uh, then our data warehouse, uh, we also clean all the data from our platform. So all the transactions that happen, all the user behaviors, they're all clean in our data warehouse. And uh, what we use uh, is Metabase uh, to allow, uh, to visualize that data. So anyone in the company now can create their own reports, their own funnels, uh, and to actually do their own analysis. So why is this critical? Uh, it's because we needed to scale our ability to do, uh, to do business intelligence insights, not just from uh, the, the executive level and management level, but what our philosophy in this is we needed to be able to capture the data and then also be able to process it and uh, visualize it for every person in the company. So it doesn't matter if you're an intern or if you're the head of sales, uh, you have the ability to, to, to query our data and derive insights so that you can make data-driven decisions. Yeah. So I think that's really key. Um, it, uh, we can actually operate our operational efficiency because of it, because all the transactions are handled on, our, uh, on JIRA for us, uh, so on and so forth. So being able to make sure, yeah. It's, it's, it's always, uh, it, it's a very good point. It's never too early to start investing in your data, organizing it and making sure that you can leverage it for uh, um, business benefits. I think, <clears throat> I know we're, we're out of time, uh, I'll just give my two cents um, about this question. And I think it's kind of an overarching uh, uh, theme between uh, some things that you both mentioned. And for me is that you need to create your network um, of operations and uh, experts as early as possible because everything you're trying to do has been done before, whether it's a Salesforce problem, whether it's a hiring issue, uh, 
um, someone has done it before, someone has done it well. And if you listen to that advice and really incept it, um, you can avoid uh, making uh, some pretty big mistakes. Randy, maybe that was uh, kind of a hidden uh, advertisement for this uh, uh, for this uh, video chat, but um, handing it over to you, Dexter and Martina, thank you again. I had a great time chatting with you. It's very good. Uh, and thanks to all three thanks. of you, Oded, Martina, and, and Dexter. Uh, good conversation. Thanks to our audience, especially at Facebook Live. And if you're watching this in the recorded version, Visit our page, if you would, scaleupacademy.io. You can learn more about us and what we do. We hope you find these live shows valuable. If you do, we'd appreciate it if you'd hit that like button and share today's show. And we hope that you'll join us next Monday. You can find us here every Monday at Facebook Live for another episode of Scale Up Heroes. In the meantime, have a great week, everybody.